Good morning again, and it's great to be wrapping up our series, Leftovers. There are either two kinds of people, those who love them, those who not so much. I tell you, I was thankful for leftovers yesterday. Cindy was out doing something, picking up some more things, and uh, there was some pizza in the fridge, and I was able to help myself to that, so that was wonderful. So I enjoy leftovers. In our first week, we talked about uh, blended families. And as we talked about that, we talked about just the mechanics of that and also how God affects us when we're joining two families together. And all of us have experienced that on one level. So if you missed that week, I'd encourage you to go back and take a look at that. And then in week number two, we talked about symbols and the power that symbols have in our lives and how baptism and communion are two of those symbols that God has given us, Jesus has given us, to uh, you know, express our faith and also to renew our faith. And we talked about that at communion, how when you and I really slow down and think about what we're doing at communion, how it really helps recalibrate us. And then last week, we talked about a PG-13 message. We talked about intimacy. And uh, as we wrap that down, we talked about how intimacy is not a problem you solve. It's a desire you direct from a full soul. So we pulled that together with that. And if you didn't get a chance to see that, I encourage you to take a look at that. Well, this morning we're going to one more last leftover, and it's way in the back of the refrigerator, and you got to move the milk, and our house, it's almond milk. I don't know how that happened, but anyway, almond milk, and you get to the back and grab it there, and uh, it's going to be a leftover that uh, is familiar to us, some of us, some of us is fresh, but it is a leftover that even if we start off with a no thank you portion, once we get a little bit in, we're going to find that it actually is very good and is very helpful to us. So before we start, let's uh, open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you again that we can get together. And we just ask that you would open our hearts no matter where we're at. If we're someone that's just checking things out about faith, we pray that you'd be speaking to them and then walk away from this time together uh, going, wow, something's that. Some, there is something to that. And Lord, we pray for those of us who have known you for a little while or a long while that we'd walk away with some uh, real practical things to grow our faith as we try to follow you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this morning, we are talking about the leftovers, dealing with no regrets. And when we look at life and we look at circumstances, we either have two responses, and it's not this simple, but when it all shakes out, there's two responses. Either we lean into God when we're in distress, or we lean away from him. And sometimes in one distress, it's in, back, out, around, but you get my idea. And sometimes you and I find ourselves leaning away from him, and uh, people on the outside might not even know that. But on the inside, we've leaned away from him, or we can lean into him. Paul talks about this when he says, distress that drives us to God, it turns us around. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets. So there's this tipping point. A distress comes into our life, and which way are we going to go? How are we going to respond to that distress? And this morning, as we talk about no regrets, we're going to specifically look at the idea of bitterness. How do we respond to that? Do we let it lean towards God and work with it, or do we lean away from him 
and uh, just kind of let things fall apart. And, uh, you know, I, as a pastor, I see this happening all the time, and it just, it just really breaks my heart when someone is gripped by bitterness. It just eats them up inside. Uh, I've seen it in situations where someone gets upset in a church setting, and uh, they're just gone. They're gone. They're literally gone. And I've seen it happen where someone, uh, there's a blow up at church, whether it's like church-wide or an individual, and they decide they're going to lean away from God. It's going to be very obvious that they're doing that. And they, they, just, they just check out. And sometimes that's two years, five years, ten years ago. Sometimes it's 20 years ago, and they have just checked out. And if you come in contact with uh, a person that uh, stuck with it, you see that they've changed and they've grown. They actually have now no regrets. They faced the pain, they leaned in, and it actually changed them. Then you bump into that person that uh, checked out for two, five, ten years, and if you start talking with them, it is like it just happened yesterday. They haven't moved at all. They are stuck where they checked out. And so you have those kinds of situations uh, uh, one time there, there was a guy, a friend of mine, and uh, I met him when he was in his mid-50s. I maybe shared this to, with you before. Met him in his main 50s, and uh, he was on staff. We were working together, and uh, he had been a vice president of a bank. And this is in the uh, late 80s, and he had been a vice president of the bank when the whole savings and loan fiasco happened. And uh, there were pictures of him sitting on his, you know, corner of his office in his three-piece suit, you know, kind of looking like this, you know, the GQ, you know, kind of banker pose. And, and uh, he was just riding it high. And then overnight, because of whatever the numbers said, the federal government just shut down that bank. One night, he's a vice president, riding high, sitting in the corner office. Next, it is all over. And it's interesting, externally... He looked like things were pretty good. But as you got to know him, you discovered that he was just a hollow, sad man. And he was just brokenhearted. And that just is where he is stuck even today. I bump into him every once in a while, and he, he kind of smiles on the outside. But you can see there's a vacancy there because he is just still heartbroken from that situation. He externally is going through all the motions, but internally he is not there. He's bitter and sad. And then I have another friend, uh, early 40s, and uh, he's had some things happen in his life, and I connect with him every once in a while, and I can tell he's on the tipping point. He's trying to figure out which way he's going. Externally, because of the family he belongs to, he will continue to go through the motions. The question is, where is his heart going to be? Is he going to lean away from God eternally or not? And I talk with him, and I get these little hints that he's struggling with it. He just doesn't know what to do with his hurt, which could turn into bitterness. So this is something all of us from time to time will face. Some of us just kind of face it and just keep moving on. Some of us not. Sometimes it's the big thing. It's the small thing. Whatever it is, we can be on this uh, you know, this tipping point about what are we going to do with that. And uh, if we embrace it, in a sense, embrace God and lead towards him, we'll actually be able to get to a place where we have no regrets. We'll say, you know, that pain drove me to God, and I'm better for it. Or we'll go the other way and let that pain draw us away from God, and we'll find that we're 
full of regrets. Now, we, you know, if you're first-timer here this morning, you're in a little different situation, but those of us who have the rhythm of Bible intake, uh, we consider ourselves a Christian, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of information come over to our way, a lot of practicing our faith come our way, and there's this danger that we just hear this stuff over and over again, and instead of having it be like, blueprints for our life it goes into a file in the back of our mind and we've got a huge file and we can pull out a file and tell other people about how they're supposed to act as a christ follower and then it just goes back in there and we don't actually learn from it we don't leverage it it doesn't affect us in a practical way it reminds me of these boys Coming back in. Mom thinks that's pretty funny. They are just not learning one after the other. And sometimes you and I can find ourselves in that same place. We don't learn. We don't plug in the new thing into our life. And we just continue to trip over that threshold. We watch someone else trip over it. We trip over it. We just don't learn from it. So our hope is that with no regrets, we take that distress in our life and we actually learn from it and we actually think about it you know when we when we digest the older testament there's a lot of stories in there and we're going to see we're going to pull one out today and we're going to see that you might not have noticed this but it's going in a negative direction this person is going to find themselves in a tipping point and they're going to give along with their brother an example of they tipped the wrong way and uh, they get a good start off but we read in Micah, and this is uh, one of the minor prophets, so this is kind of summing up these people. It says, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. This is referring to Israel. I sent Moses to lead you. I also sent Aaron and Miriam. And uh, we see that they got a great start. And we have Moses, the younger brother. Uh, we have then Aaron, maybe four years older. And then we have Miriam, maybe seven years older than Moses. Uh, Moses is the baby of the family. And they got a, they got a great start. And we see Miriam here uh, watching over Moses. Pharaoh gave the orders to all the people, or all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. If you remember the story of uh, Joseph, uh, they settled, the whole family settles in Egypt. And years have gone by, uh, probably about 400 and I think it was 490 or something like that, goes by. And now the, the you know, family of 70-ish has turned into millions. And uh, it is just the Egyptian government, the, the pharaoh realizes, wow, these people could take over our country. We've got to do something about this. And the way they deal with it is they're going to take out every little boy that's born, throw them in the Nile, and that's the end of it. Well, obviously, this doesn't go over well uh, with the Hebrews that are living there, Israel that's living there. And uh, we see that uh, there's this one baby born, and this is Moses. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married to a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Uh, he just was a beautiful baby boy, 
Everybody thinks their kids are beautiful. And so this mom thinks that, wow, this baby Moses is fantastic. I, I'm not going to do this. Uh, so she hides him. And then we see this. But when she couldn't hide him no longer, she got uh, papyrus paper for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it in among the reeds along the banks of the Nile. His sister, this is Miriam, stood at a distance to see what would happen. And so what ends up happening is that uh, Pharaoh's daughter uh, takes her bath uh, at the Nile. Uh, she looks, she finds the baby. She's like, oh, baby, I want this baby. And uh, Marion is nearby, and she sees this all unfold. This is wonderful. And she runs up, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you? Speaking to the Pharaoh's daughter, and uh, the Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, this is fantastic. Marion steps up, seven or eight years old. Uh, does this and uh, ends up being that Moses' mother gets to actually uh, be involved in Moses' life. So doesn't marry, so doesn't the family. This is fantastic. And uh, so things, this is a really, really good start for all three of these siblings. And then as time goes on, some of us know the story. Moses is, you know, uh, has to, grows up in the palace, uh, uh, kills an Egyptian. You can look at the story, ends up running off and is gone for 40 years and then comes back and is involved in the exodus and all that gets involved with that. And so Aaron and Marion are in the, in the mix there. And then all of a sudden we have this. They've been, they're on the other side. They've been delivered. And we see Marion uh, leading everybody in a song. And then Marion, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand. And all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Marion said to them, sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver has hurled into the sea. This is great. Marion's a part of this. She's probably now in her late 80s, but she's a part of this. This is fantastic. Uh, there's been a great beginning, a great start. And then we get to this place where there is a silent pause. You see, something starts to happen in Marion's heart. Something starts to happen in Aaron's heart. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the story about the golden calf. Moses goes up on the mountain. He's up there meeting with God. He's gone too long. The people get nervous. There are millions of people. They've, you know, just crossed the Red Sea. It's, 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 just, it's just, you know, just lots of things happening. They're getting nervous. And so they ask Aaron, Moses' brother, hey, we need a God. We need a golden calf that's tied to the gods of the Egyptians. So Aaron, you know, under a little pressure, I guess, uh, goes okay and uh, makes this golden calf. When he explains it to Moses, he says it just popped out of the fire. And, uh, you know, in this whole situation, we don't see Marion saying anything. Uh, she's quiet. And uh, all of a sudden, we realize that, you know, being a leader is tough. Moses has a heavy weight on his uh, shoulders. And, uh, you know, Marion isn't stepping up. Aaron isn't stepping up. Actually, is you know, counter, you know, countered his leadership. And uh, we see Moses later on just, just tired of dealing with these demandy, demanding, whiny people. He said, Moses said to God, why are you treating me this way? Why did I, what did I ever do to you to deserve this? Did I conceive them? Was I their mother? So why dump the responsibility of these people on me? Why tell me to carry them around like a nursing mother? Carry them all the way to the land you have promised to their ancestors. Why have you done me what am what am i supposed to do with this he goes on 
What am I supposed to get for meat for all these people who are whining to me? Give us meat. We want meat. I can't do this by myself. It's too much. All these people, if this is how you intend to treat me, do me a favor and kill me. I've seen enough. I've had enough. Let me out of here. So there's Moses. There's the silent pause. And there's Aaron and Marion in the background. And it's amazing how, again, it's amazing how Moses just responds to this. Uh, there's a moment where God says to him, you know, if, if you want me to, I'll wipe out the people and I'll start a new nation through you. That sounds like a pretty good idea. No, no, Moses says, no, I'm not going to do this. And he's a man of peace. Uh, he's not going to go down that road. He actually lives out this Hebrews passage, which is New Testament. Make every effort to live in peace. And that idea of peace is not just an absence of conflict. Sometimes we look at nations that are having, you know, all kinds of tension. And we say, man, wouldn't it be great if there was peace in the Middle East? Wouldn't it be great if there was peace there? And what we're saying is, wouldn't it be great if they stopped fighting? Well, peace is so much more than that. It's just not absence of fighting. Peace is this idea of connection, engagement, care for each other, satisfaction with each other. So when you and I talk about wanting peace with somebody else, it's just not to be after them. It's not to be saying snarky things to them. It's about actually being engaged with them. We have peace. So be, have peace with everyone and to be holy, and holy is a, expressing your alignment with God through your actions. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. This idea of short of the grace of God isn't this idea that you're not having a relationship with God. It's this idea of you not being a conduit of the grace. You're not living out this grace. It's crazy to think that you and I can experience the grace of God and then in turn withhold it from another person. I don't know about you, but I've experienced a lot of grace from God, uh, more than I deserve, more than any of us deserve, but you know what I mean. But just, just he's just so forgiving and does not get bitter and angry with me, and when you and I can't pass that on to someone else, we're falling short of the grace of God, and this bitter root begins to grow, um, and it starts to control everything. Uh, the psalmist writes this, when I was beleaguered and bitter, totally consumed by envy, I was totally ignorant, a dumb ox in your very presence. And the idea here is when you and I get captured, captivated by a bitterness, by an envy, by a jealousy or whatever from somebody else, it consumes us. It taints us. It affects the way we look at the world around us and those in the world. And when it really has grown and has gotten really huge in our heart, it starts to control our actions like we're a dumb farm animal. And even though we're in God's presence, it starts to control us. And with that, breaking this down, we have to realize that there's this idea of a dangerous root. Now, I, I said I've, we've moved out to Lodi, and we've got a big yard, and I'm not a big yard person. Everyone kind of go, ha, 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 when they see the yard and all that kind of thing. When we lived in South Portland, uh, the backyard, it was a parsonage, uh, had four apple trees in the back. And whoever planted them, some mean pastor from years gone by, like strategically put them so they were like in the way when you mowed the lawn. 
And then you get the apples dropping, and then you get the yellow jackets and all this stuff. So as soon as I thought I could get away with it, I had somebody come, somebody come, right, and cut them all down. But they left the, uh, you know, the little stub there. And what would happen is all of a sudden there's all these shoots, those, those, those uh, apple trees would just be like coming back, and they just keep coming. So I take the lawnmower, you know, and the lawnmower didn't like that too much, and I'd hit the stub, and then I'd, the lawnmower really didn't like that. But anyway, you know, I just, they just kept coming up. And when you and I leave this dangerous route in our lives, we may cut it off, but it just keeps coming up. It's just there. The nutrients and everything is in the ground, and they don't go away. We have to dig it up. I said in the first service, uh, I remember when my dad would make me go dig dandelions in the yard. You know, he didn't want any dandelions in there. And when I was really being lazy, I just kind of like rip them off, rip them off, rip them off. And then a few days later, those dandelions would come back up. He gave me this little tool. You're supposed to jam it in there and grab the roots and rip it up. And then maybe the dandelion wouldn't come back. So we have to watch out for the dangerous root of bitterness. And when we're watching for it, when we're aware of it, when we're going to deal with it, it actually, uh, we get to that place where we can have no regrets. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that bitter root doesn't grow. Because when it grows, it just gives us energy towards that bitterness and it shows up in our lives over and over and over again. And when it's there, it produces really a poisonous fruit. It's a poisonous fruit for our lives when that bitterness is left in our heart. No matter how deep way in the back it is, it is just left there. Uh, Bitter roots grow up to cause trouble and defile many. And you'll find that it touches everything. You, you, You get involved with other people's lives and this bitterness bubbles up in your conversations. Eventually, you're tearing somebody else down or eventually... You're just, you're just aching inside your life. You're all upset because this poisonous fruit is there. And the idea, again, is it, it stains, it pollutes, it contaminates our lives. It flavors our lives. It flavors our lives with that bitterness. So we need to be aware of it and root it out before it gets going. Because when we don't, there's a toxicity to this bitterness. And this toxicity includes that we easily see the bad in others, Uh, Very quickly, we see the bad when we're bitter towards them. Uh, Just a little something, we misread it, we fill in the blanks, and we're angry towards that person, and we just see the bad in their lives. I've shared with this before with you. You know, you can have two people do the same thing, but the person you're bitter to, they do it, and you're just all over them. And then the person you kind of like love them, like them, they do the same thing, and you just give them a pass. And so when we're bitter, this is the kind of actions we have. We also feel justified in criticizing and gossiping them. And uh, we're just, you know, we just, it's just okay because they're a jerk and we're going to, you know, talk about them. That's, that's what we do because we're bitter towards them. Their name comes up just in passing, the, you know, and all of a sudden the conversation starts going that way. And then we naturally infect others. And uh, that, that makes me really, in hindsight, uh, very uncomfortable. I would hate to think that in my irritation, envy, jealousy, bitterness, I would say something that another person catches 
and owns, and then I deal with it, so I'm no longer bitter to them, but that person still has an irritation to where I've kind of labeled them something, and that label sticks with them, even though I've come to terms with it. Infecting others, uh, that really uh, concerns me. Um, also, we secretly celebrate their misfortunes. Uh, we may not be able to go, yay, outside, but inside we're going, yay, because something bad happens in their life. It might be something just a little bit, and uh, we're, just, we're just, again, bitter towards them. Uh, also has the idea that we, it limits our growth and impact. When you and I hold that bitterness inside us, it, just, it affects our relationship with God. It affects our growth. It affects us making a difference. It just, it just affects everything. So bitterness is something we don't want in our lives. We don't want to be bitter. And again, like I said, I have that friend, and I'm, I'm watching, and I'm trying to speak into his life gently and talk with him because I'm just really concerned he could go one way or the other because there's a problem with this. And eventually this can all be happening. A lot of this happens outside, but then a lot of this can happen inside, and eventually it gets on the out, and we have this vocal expression of it. And we see this happening with Mary and Aaron. We get the idea of Aaron not being totally satisfied by going along with the golden calf thing. Marion is totally silent, but she's there. Remember earlier, she's you know, leading all the ladies in singing and praising all these victories and really at the hand of God. But yes, Moses was obviously his instrument. And we see this going on. Marion and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Kushnite wife, for he had married a Kushnite. If you remember the life of Moses, Moses had that 40 years in the desert. Uh, he married a Kushnite wife. And uh, Marion and Aaron can't figure out what to pick on him about. And this one is one they're going to do. She's an outsider. Uh, remember, he, she, she and Moses had two boys. And uh, so they're just after this. They're looking for something like this. And you and I, when we have bitterness, sometimes we can't find anything about them. So we have to, like, dig, 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 looking for something to kind of dig at them about. And this is what's going on because... Something's going on in Marion and Aaron's heart. Read in verse 2. Hasn't the Lord spoke, has, has, has the Lord only spoken through Moses? They asked, hasn't he also spoken through us? So now it's getting a little bitter, and they're really trying to trash talk him. But then there's this phrase that should stop all of us in our tracks. This phrase. And the Lord heard this and the lord heard this every time actually everything we're doing but every time i'm trash talking someone out of bitterness envy jealousy whatever you want to talk about it the lord hears this the lord hears us even when we think we can justify it the lord hears it marian and Aaron were heard. I love that Moses wrote this about himself. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And this is, he's writing this. He says, now Moses was a very humble man. He was, but he wrote this. Uh, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. So we're going to see how he responds to all of this. In verse 4, at once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out. Come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and then summoned Aaron, Aaron and Miriam 
when the two of them step forward. Can you imagine that being lined up, the three, and then the two? First, you might think, oh, now we're going to get our glory, right? You know, Moses really is not the man. We're, we're the people. And they step forward, and then this is what happens. He said, listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Silence. Silence. Some things to think about. You know, those of us who have said yes to Christ, in a sense, are God's servants. So when you and I speak against one of God's servants, it's not the pastor per se or a missionary. It's all of us. God is listening. He is aware. He's watching how much grace we administer to that person. He's listening to what we say. In Moses' case, the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. You know, all of us, when we hear the word leprosy, are very nervous about that, as we should be. Not only is that an issue here, but there's also the issue when someone had this kind of thing going on in their life, they were outside the camp. You thought Moses' wife was an outsider. Now Miriam is definitely an outsider. Worship is off. Everything is off. Can't go to church. Can't go to the tabernacle. You are on the outside. You are on the outside. And this is, this is what's happening. And, and Aaron sees it, and just he, he knows what this means. And he said to Moses, please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us this sin we have so foolishly committed. I like the fact Aaron identifies with it. He owns his piece of it. Don't let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord. It, it, to me, it blows my mind. Moses said, let me think about it a little bit. Give me five minutes. Immediately cries out to the Lord. Please, God, heal her. The Lord replied to Moses, if her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought in. It's interesting, uh, you know, that uh, this, this kind of private conversation all of a sudden goes public in a huge way. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on till she was brought back. After that, the people left. little side note there, as you think about a body of Christ, you think about a church, a local church, how often do we not move forward? Are we stuck in the place we're stuck? Because someone, uh, in a sense, is outside the camp. And we have to wait for them to move forward. Wait for them to grow. 
we have to ask ourselves, our part in the body of Christ, what a hand do we have into the church moving forward? What was private became public. The private heart of bitterness will eventually become public. So no matter how good you are at hiding it, no matter how good you're at hiding it and holding on to it, eventually it gets shown up. It comes out on the outside. And um, James says about these ideas, he says that those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Well, you're saying, what about tongue, bitterness? Well, it has to start inside. So that bitterness inside, when you and I hold it and eventually it's going to leak out, it's going to come out when we hold on to it and it comes out. And, and James says that religion is worthless. You're, you're not, it's not showing up in your face. If you're a Christ follower, you ought to be changing from the inside and out. Not immediately, but you ought to be in that process. And when that process isn't happening in our lives, what's the point? It's a religion that is worthless. So how do we guard against this? What do we do? We're all vulnerable to this. Uh, Marion, specifically Aaron, jealous of Moses. He's in the limelight. Does God only speak through him? And, and they speak, and they get this bitterness within the heart. How do, how do you and I avoid that? How do we move through? How do we guard against that? Well, let's talk about a process of getting better instead of bitter. And uh, the outline I'm going to give you right here is something we talked about in May, uh, these few points, but I think it's important that we revisit them. Deal with the pattern and pain behind your anger. Try to figure out why you're responding or actually reacting the way you are. What, wh where's that coming from? You know, call a spade a spade. Sometimes we can have outbursts and it, it, we're not really dealing with the root cause of it. We're just cutting off the top of it. We're not digging down and grabbing the roots of the item. Smart people know how to hold their tongue. Their grandeur is to forgive and forget. And if they're holding their tongue, it's because they've done work on their heart. It's very difficult to let your heart be in a bad place of bitterness and to control it. It's going to slip out. So rather than use all this energy to try to keep your mouth shut, why not let God do the work of your heart? So you don't have to guard what you say. Because what you say is no longer coming from a bitterness. It's, it's gone. And it changes inside out. If you do, peace can replace bitterness. The pain, the anger, it can subside. And you can actually be at peace rather than being bitter. And I've got to believe all of us have done this at least once. Somebody has bugged us. We've been bitter for whatever reason towards them. We come to terms with it. Maybe we don't even come to terms with it with the individual. We, in our heart, let it go, God working in us, and then we have peace. I love it. No, I don't love this part of it. I love it when someone has done me wrong. It really did me wrong. And 
I forget it. And I actually see that person, and it isn't like, oh, there's that lousy, dirty rat, or I can't stand my you know, I, I love when that's gone. And the only person who can do that in my life is not Dave Spencer. It's Jesus working in my heart. So I love when all of a sudden I realize, wait a minute, that guy, I, I, all of a sudden, I, I, I have no one automatic, uh, no anger or anything towards that. The jealousy, whatever it is, gone. Uh, growing up, I had a cousin, and Cousin Scott, if you're listening to this, my forgiveness, but ask forgiveness, but uh, when we were growing up, uh, Cousin Scott was a year older than me, um, had better athletic ability than I did, had a charm that I felt I didn't have, was slender, more slender than I was, was just like everything I wanted to be. Basketball star, baseball star, all this kind of stuff. And I really didn't like Cousin Scott. Every time we'd go, it'd be like, Scott this, Scott this, you know, and I'm like, kind of like, feel like I'm sitting in, I just didn't, really didn't like him. And during the summer, uh, every summer for like three or four summers, either I'd go down there for a week or he'd come up for a week and we'd like stay and, and you know, I liked, but I didn't like him. I was envious and I had to kind of like, like, repro you know, like when I hear his name now, like today, you know, he's still successful. You know what I mean? I'm like, you know, I got to go, that's great. So I got to get rid of that. And then all of a sudden there's peace that can replace bitterness. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. It's sinful to be bitter. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, fractions, and envy. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Man, do I want to live out of verse 22, not verse 19 and 21. That's not a fun way to live. Yeah, you may get to give the jab. You may get to be a little bit of a jerk, and they deserved it, or whatever, or whatever you do in your mind and your heart. But, man, that is not a fun way to live. I don't want to be a bitter, grumpy old guy. I want to live out of the fruits of the Spirit. I want that kind of peace growing in my life and the other stuff shrinking back. Receive your fulfillment in God, not circumstances. We've kind of talked about this a little bit throughout the whole series using different words, but this idea that my fulfillment comes with my relationship with God, not my circumstances. That doesn't mean I don't like the good circumstances. I would be dumb not to like them, but when they're not there, when somebody drives me nuts when I'm envious and jealous, and, and on one hand, you have a right. They've, they've like arrived, and I haven't. I get my fulfillment from God, not the circumstances. Uh, Joseph explained this to his brothers. Remember, he was sold into slavery, never thought to see him again, and he was not bitter. He really wasn't bitter. His brothers thought he was and was just hiding it. Even when Joseph's father passes away, the brothers come back and say, Joseph, uh, your dad really told you to forgive us and not, he, he caused him to cry because he's like, I have forgiven you. I'm not bitter because this was his attitude. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in a place of God? You intended to harm me. I mean, it was obvious, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. See, there's a guy at the tipping point 
And if you look at Joseph's life, time and time again, he's at the tipping point, and instead of leaning away from God in bitterness, he leans into God, and he's a better person for it. He has a better life for it. His heart is in a better place because his fulfillment was in God, not his circumstances. If you do, gratitude can replace bitterness. Again, another plug for tonight. I love when that mic gets shared and I hear stories of other people and how God has shown up in their life and it creates just a, such an atmosphere of thanksgiving. So when we see God's, our fulfillment is in God, not just our circumstances, not our circumstances, gratitude replaces bitterness. Also, we give up expectations of others to God. All of a sudden now, my expectations of somebody else, I, I, I let them go. I don't get mad and bitter about that. I give them up. Uh, I become agreeable. I become sympathetic. I become loving. I'm compassionate. I'm humble. That, you know, he goes on, Peter goes on, that goes for all of you. No exceptions. No retaliation. No sharp tongues. Um, sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job to bless. You'll be a blessing and also get a blessing as bitterness subsides in our life. If you do, grace can replace bitterness. Grace to the person and awareness of your personal grace from God. Sometimes Sometimes we've just got to bring it to the foot of the cross. We remember what Jesus has done for us, and we go, I, I want to be bitter, I want to be angry, but I, I've, I've got to let it go. I've got to come to the cross. I've got to remember what Jesus did. Jesus didn't deserve any of this. He lived a perfect life, so I come to the cross. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They don't get the ramifications of their actions, so I am going to come to the foot of the cross. And I tell you, this, this one, if nothing else does it, this one gets me closer to there because if I had been Jesus, there would have been like a moment where I said, this is enough. I'm done with this dying thing. I'm coming off the cross. I'm going to shoot a little bit of lightning down and hit that guy there, but I'm not going to like vaporize him instantly. I'm going to let him know that I'm vaporizing him, and it's going to hurt a lot. And, you know, I'm going to, this, your turn, their turn, their turn. No, be happy I wasn't Jesus, okay? Um, but, uh, you know, he's, so we bring these things to the foot of the cross. When we do that, if you do, forgiveness again can replace bitterness. And it brings a peace and a direction and a satisfaction and a just easiness to life. So when we look at this, we have choices. We either become bitter or not become, we either lean into God or we lean away from him. When we lean into him, actually these distresses become something that becomes no regrets because we've lent in and he's grown us and developed us. But on the other side, when we hold on to it, this is what happens. Holding on to bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to get sick. That's what it's like. When you and I hold on to bitterness for whatever reason, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to get sick. It makes us 
sick. Would you pray with me? Father, as we try to digest all this, this is huge. We all probably think of that person that's really wronged us or that person that has the life that we should have had. And it's hard. We, we can be bitter. Father, I would ask that you would help us through you to process that through that and that we would have no regrets because instead of leaning away from you, we lean towards you. And if there's anyone here who has never said yes to you, we ask in this moment, knowing that you're the only power in their life that can help them function this way, that they would say yes to you, accepting the gift of salvation from you and forgiveness. So we pray all this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.